Cadena UNAL. Good morning and a very warm welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance, coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41-meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 19-meter band to Far West Africa. I'm Lulu Gabu in studio with Onilin Zinzi, Tabisolo Hoko and Msibudi Makura. In our top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at the Sawa, it's all systems go for South Sudan's transitional government and the USA bullies South Africa into accepting its conditions on the AGOA deal. In sports news, the Proteus coach has confirmed that South Africa will be without Dale Saint for the third test. And first up, the news with Onilin Zinzi. Thank you, Lulu. Now looking at your news update. Henry Court on Monday denied bail to Hama Amadou, a leading opposition figure and contender in next month's presidential election. Amadou has been jailed for his alleged role in a baby trafficking scandal. An appeals court upheld the decision of another court in late December that the former Premier and Parliament Speaker arrested on November 14th upon his return from exile in France should not be granted conditional release. Niger's Constitutional Court this month approved 15 candidates for the February 21 presidential polls, including Amadou. Libya's National Oil Corporation has emptied all storage tanks at the Raslanov Terminal as a precaution after Islamic State militants attacked the country's two biggest oil ports last week. The attacks triggered several days of clashes between militants and the Petroleum Facilities Guard and caused fire at seven oil storage tanks. Libya is split between political factions and armed groups competing for power and for the country's oil wealth four years after the revolt that toppled Muammar Gaddafi. South Africa's Wurz University Vice-Chancellor Professor Adam Habib says students should not use their right to protest to intimidate those who don't support their hashtag Fees Must Fall campaign. Several universities have resorted to warnings to students to register te- telephonically or online after the Fees Must Fall protests resurfaced on several campuses. There have been protests at Wurz University, UNISA, the University of Johannesburg and Pretoria University. Professor Habib has described the disruption of the registration as unacceptable. 20 to 30 people cannot have and hold hostage an entire registration process of a university. We can't allow the university system to be destroyed like this. So, yes, you have rights. Yes, you have the right to protest. But you don't have the right to bully others. You don't have the right to abuse others. You don't have the right to hurt others. You don't have the right to threaten others. You don't have the right to stop that poor person who comes from Limpopo to register for their child. Whose rights are you abusing here? Meanwhile, Higher Education Minister Bladen Zimande is expected to meet student leaders on Thursday. The students' demand include free higher education. However, on Monday, Zimande said government could not implement such a demand overnight.
You can't just wake up now, 2016, and say we are implementing. What they were demanding last year was that no fee increase as a first step towards doing that. They want a clearer plan to say, when are you going to start? Government has responded to that. We have said, first, let's deal with the student debt. Let's also deal with the no fee increase. And the students themselves will have to participate and being engaged in the process that has been outlined by the president. And finally, the UN Children's Fund UNICEF reports that one in four children in conflict zones around the world are out of school. South Sudan is home to the highest proportion of out-of-school children with 51% of primary and lower secondary age children not accessing an education. UNICEF says that unless the provision of education in emergencies is prioritized, a generation of children living in conflict will grow up without the skills they need to contribute to their countries and economies. Diane Penn reports. The UNICEF report shows that nearly one in four of the 109 million children of school age living in conflict areas are missing out on their education. UNICEF says that unless the provision of education in emergencies is prioritized, a generation of children living in conflict will grow up without the skills they need to contribute to their countries and economies. That, the agency says, will exacerbate the already desperate situation for millions of children and their families. Channel Africa News, I'm Onilinsinsi. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorna. Africa, Amuka na Unai. Thank you, Onele. It is 8.05 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. Now, the commission overseeing the implementation of the peace agreement signed in August last year in South Sudan has officially confirmed that a transitional government of national unity will be formed in the country on the 22nd of this month. The peace agreement ended 22 months of fighting, which erupted on the 15th of December last Last year, resulting in the death of more than 15,000 people, according to the United Nations estimates. The fighting also forced more than 2 million people to flee their homes and either take refuge at the United Nations camps or cross into neighboring countries. The new government, comprising 30 cabinet ministers, is to be led by Salva Kiir, with rebel leader Riek Macha once again becoming his vice president. The ministers have been nominated from President Kier and Machar's groups, former detainees and the country's smaller political parties are also represented in the new cabinet. Our East Africa correspondent James Shimanyula prepared the following report. More than 12 million people of South Sudan are eagerly waiting for the historic formation of a transitional government of national unity derived from a peace agreement signed by President Salva Kiir and rebel leader Riek Machar under intense international pressure in August last year. President Kiir has softened his stance and even offered a rare apology. To sincerely apologize before the people of South Sudan. The transitional government of national unity to be set up on the 22nd of January is to be in place until the 22nd of August 2018 when a general election is to be held. Already former Botswana President Festus Mokhae 
Head of the Commission monitoring the establishment of the Transitional Government of National Unity has asserted that plans are underway to ensure that the government is in place as per the peace agreement. Mohai's assertion was confirmed by Ezekiel Gatkoth, one of the spokespersons for rebel leader Riek Machar. According to the timetable, the government of national unity should be in place by the 22nd of January 2016, whereby my chairman, Dr. Riek Machar, will assume his responsibility as the vice president of the Republic of Sudan. We have reached a power-sharing deal. We have divided the ministries. Sixteen of the ministries that Riek Machar's spokesman, Ezekiel Gatkoth, is referring to have been taken by President Salva Kiir's camp. These include the Defense, Finance and Justice Ministries. Riek Machar's side has ten ministries including Petroleum and Interior. Former detainees, as well as an alliance of 18 smaller political parties, have been allocated four ministries. They include foreign and cabinet affairs. President Salva Kiir admitted that the war had damaged the country but said there was still hope. We are going to start from scratch. And this is why we have been struggling to create this institution of governance. But first as Mohai, who heads the commission overseeing the full implementation of the peace agreement, says Kiir's recent unilateral decision to create 28 new states could be a stumbling block for South Sudan's quest for peace. Creation of the new state, the timing of the creation of the new states. I had hoped that... Um, the government would have waited till the formation of the transitional government of national unity. Rebel leader Riek Machar says President Salva Kiir's action violates the spirit of the August 2015 peace agreement. Machar wants Kiri to rescind the decree that empowered him to create the state. However, Kiir has repeatedly made it clear that he will not reverse the decree. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is James Shimanyula. As registration has been disrupted at various South African university institutions around the country due to the recommencement of the Fees Must Fall campaign, Higher Education Minister Bladen Zamande says government has resolved the 0% fee increment issue. Speaking at the post-school education and training opportunities briefing, Zamande said the National Student Financial Aid Scheme will be funding an estimated 200,000 first-time students. Over 600 million U.S. dollars has been set aside for the 2016 academic year. The Fees Must Fall campaign that students embarked on late last year was in response to an increase in tuition fees at South African University universities. Reports. Government has committed an additional 6.912 billion funding to support university education in the system. That's over and above the 10 billion rent. First, we must say this is a strong indication that government has listened to the concerns raised by university students. As an immediate measure, we have resolved the 0% fee increment for 2016 with universities which amounted to 2.33 billion rand. That's taken care of. It is important to emphasize that university students who meet the NESFAS means test will not be required to pay upfront payments when registering 
for the 2016 academic year. Government has also reprioritized 2.543 billion rands of state funding in the 2016-2017 financial year to be allocated to NESFAS to provide for loans to assist 71,753 identified students. Nzamanda says the department is also committed to expanding access and success in institutions for students who have special needs. As there had been complaints about the National Students' Financial Aid Scheme, Mzimanda said the presidential task team set up after last year's clashes had realized that the means test was too low, leaving out students whose parents could not afford university. He says figuring out how to include the missing middle would be on this time's agenda. One of the things that the commission, presidential commission is going to look into is that the, the, the next first means test is too low. There are students who do not qualify for NESFAS, yet they come from families where they can't afford university education. That is going to be looked at, what we normally call the missing middle, as part of the commission as to what is the answer. Already there has been some, lots of preliminary work that, that is being done. The commission won't start from scratch. That we've also been doing as a, as a, as a department. This year... Over 500,000 opportunities are available to students who wish to pursue their studies. This means 26 universities, 50 technical and vocational training and education colleges, and various workplace-related training opportunities. Out-of-school youth who wish to enter the world of work or need to increase their skills capabilities would also need to consider the options of learnership, apprenticeship and skills programs. Asked how government intends to make technical and vocational education and training institutions attractive to students, Menesen Zimande had this to say. Also, it's not entirely correct that parents now are running away from this. We have doubled the intake at Tibet colleges. Between 2010 and, and, and 2015, we doubled from 300 and... 60, 370 to 790,000 which means that somehow we are not yet where we want to be but we are turning the corner in terms of the attitude of our youth as well as our parents about tivet colleges meanwhile the Salt Lake university in kimberley in the northern cape which is in its third year of operation this year has major plans to develop into a much bigger university the university, the first in the province, currently offers a limited number of undergraduate qualifications. However, Vice-Chancellor Professor Yunus Belim is optimistic that this could change as early as next year. Belim elaborates. We need to start thinking about honours and masters programmes, particularly in education, and we'll be doing that quite shortly. I'm also working on the development of academic programmes in the field of agricultural sciences. So that's probably going to be the next big development. We hope that the Honours and Masters program, especially in education, will be available in 2017. We will prepare the proposals to the High Education Quality Council this year. A meeting with the leaders of the Student Representative Councils across South Africa is scheduled to take place this Thursday. Minister Nzimande also pleaded with students not to lose their hard-won places at universities because of protests. For Channel Africa, I'm Kwamotso Mupulani in Johannesburg.
Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kultranjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe, this is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa, this is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Mwaigi Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zosa. Africa, Amuka na Unai. It's 8.16 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. Coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kHz on the 41 meter band on the 19 meter band to far west africa now the white house has issued a presidential proclamation that will suspend south africa's trade benefit on agricultural goods under the african growth and opportunity act if american poultry is not allowed into south africa by march the 15th last week an agreement was reached on the final barriers to the import of american poultry into south africa but now the u.s government says it's testing the system to make sure the meat will be available on store shelves in South Africa. Kate Fisher has more from Washington. Given the positive end to last week, the news of this fresh presidential deadline has come as something of a surprise. Last week, the US Trade Representative Michael Froman praised South Africa's constructive efforts, saying that teams from both countries had worked closely together to resolve all the outstanding issues. And he hailed the agreement as a positive outcome for both countries, saying it helped to deepen the trade and investment relationship. So this new presidential proclamation, which threatens to remove AGOA benefits on agricultural products, if American poultry is not in the shops in South Africa by March the 15th, has come as a surprise to many. Well, I spoke to the National Security Council here in Washington and they made it clear to me that they were not yet suspending South Africa's AGOA benefits, but rather setting a new 60-day deadline for South Africa to comply. The office of the US Trade Representative, uh, I also spoke to them, and they told me that if the remaining benchmark, which is the entry of US poultry into South Africa under the agreed-upon conditions, is met before March the 15th, then the president will be able to consider a revocation of that proclamation before any suspension can take effect. Also, they told me, the president can reinstate fuller goer benefits for South Africa at any time after he's determined that South Africa is meeting the criteria laid out by the US Congress. So it seems to me that although the US is very happy that the technical barriers have been resolved last week, 
they're not yet prepared to let up the pressure on South Africa and that implicit threat of removing those duty-free AGOA benefits will remain for now. Kate Fisher, Washington. I am an African. I owe my being to the hills and the valleys, the mountains and the glades, the rivers, the deserts, the trees, the flowers, the seas, and the ever-changing seasons that define the face of our native land. My body has frozen in our frosts and in our latter-day snows. It has thawed in the warmth of our sunshine and melted in the heat of the midday sun. The crack and the rumble of the summer thunders, lashed by startling lightning, have been a cause both of trembling and of hope. The fragrances of nature have been as pleasant to us as the sight of the wild blooms of the citizens of the felt. The dramatic shapes of the dragon's back, the soil-colored waters of the Likwa, Ikreli, Lotugel, and the sands of the Kalahad have all been panels of the set on the natural stage on which we act out the foolish deeds of the theater of the day. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. My name is Sipa Hot Sticks Mabuse, a South African musician and an African artist for that matter. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Pambi. My name is Yvonne Chaka Chaka from South Africa, but Africa is my home. You're listening to Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Habida, an African artist from Kenya, and you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. It's 8.22 Central African time and you're listening to Africa Rise and Shine. We're coming to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa and on 15255 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to Far West Africa. Now as South African higher education institutions kickstart the 2016 academic year, vice chancellors representing all 26 universities in the country say they are committed to continuing the widening of student access to university study and to transform universe and the transformation of universities now yesterday saw disruptions of registrations as students in about two universities resumed the fees must fall campaign resulting in some of on-campus registrations being suspended. Now, Higher Education Minister Blade Nzimande also announced post-school education and training system opportunities for 2016. 
Approximately 517,402 opportunities are available to learners who might wish to continue their studies this year. To talk more about this, we are now joined on the line by Professor Roxana Osman-Dean of the Faculty of Humanities at the University of Witwatersrand. Good morning, Prof, and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning and thanks for having me. Now, Prof, what do you make of a government's post-school education and training system opportunities, um, as announced by Minister Blayton Zamanda yesterday? I mean, I think you can see that government is trying very hard to ensure that we have a diversified um, higher education sector and not just one track, which is uh, academic or university track, but a more diversified higher education sector. And this is long overdue. The big challenge that government faces, though, is making the other opportunities beyond the university opportunity an attractive one for young people. At the moment, young people think they don't get into the university, um, it's a failure, all is lost. Government is trying to say, well, there are other routes, but youngsters are not going to take those routes if it's not made attractive for them. Now, let's speak to um, the issue, the resumption of the Fees Must Fall campaign protest uh, was started yesterday, particularly at this time of the year. Last year, it started at a very crucial time, just before exam time, and now this year again, it's just before registrations, and, uh, you know, there's, there's have to be, and some students have, to have, have had to write the exams during this time. Would you say this is a step in the right direction for students? Well, I mean, I think what, what's happening is students had received uh, very good support for the cause at the end of last year. It ensured that many universities, including my own university, <clears throat> put many processes in place to ensure that all of the concerns around uh, access to education were addressed. What happened this year is Ironically, students traveling from far-off places coming for registration to universities, particularly from other provinces, high achievers from other provinces, um, where families have really invested a lot in these students, come to university, and they find that registration is uh, derailed. Now, the big question is, is, how do you balance the question of access to education for all and at the same time ensuring that that very education that you want people to have access to is not disrupted. So it's concerning, I'm I'm particularly concerned that registration, if disrupted, can affect many, many students, particularly poor students traveling from far and for whom this education is a one-stop. So I think for the students, they need to think very carefully about their tactics that they're using and ensure that in the in their in their struggle and in their quest for access to education, they do not finally end up with education that's not worth having access to. Now, Prof, the missing middle. Um, there's been talk of uh, the missing middle um, students who are not able to get funding from NAFSIS uh, who are rejected and yet that at the same time they cannot afford to fund their education. Are we likely to see government addressing this very swiftly? I mean, I think, yes, you are likely to see government address this particular issue. I don't think it can be an issue that's addressed tomorrow, probably for the 2017 academic year, but it cannot be addressed 
um, in a very short and quick period of time because there are so many other imperatives on the table. So I think, yes, government is committed to it, but um, but it'll be 2017, not 2016. Now, Prof, just speaking to that issue, particularly looking at uh, students from your university, which is Witwatersrand, um, we saw them calling for this particular issue where they're speaking on behalf of uh, the poor students who cannot afford um, to to fund their education. And yet at the same time, they do get rejected from, uh, um, from the scheme as NAFSIS. Now, with what the students are calling for, is it ideal for government to take some time uh, looking at the fact that this is just the beginning of 2016, 2017 is another year ahead? Um, is it uh, ideal for government to take that much time or can they move swiftly on this because it's a very critical time and it's a very critical issue? I think the government can move swiftly. I sense that there is sufficient political will for that. Of course, there's an election around the corner, so one never knows what um, magic tricks can be come, come out of the hat. I think it can move swiftly, but I think it's a, it has to be done systematically so that we ensure that the students who are meant to benefit from it, in fact, benefit from it. Minister Bladen-Zamande has... Uh basically rejected a four-year degree proposal again, um, which analysts say could curb the high university dropout rate. What are your thoughts on this? Um, I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all, frankly. So I don't think that one can say, well, do away with all four-year degrees and go into third-year degrees. I think a lot depends on what is being studied, how it's being studied, etc. So if one looks at the field of teacher education, which has a four-year degree, there's sufficient research on the ground done by teacher education, ed- educationists themselves showing why a four-year degree is essential for good quality education in the public school sector. However, I, I would put on record that clear degrees can work, they do work, but they depend on the field that is being studied, and we should look at a, at a, at a, at a model, at a hybrid model that allows for that kind of um, a mixture. Now, Prof, let's just go to the issue of the registration fees that the students are also calling for that they must they must fall. Um, and uh, I think Vitz has come out and said that they will not be um, making stu- they will not make students pay for registration. What does this do for the financial coffers of the universities? Well, so as you know, something's got to give. So it means that some. Some things, some projects will have to be delayed. In the case of Wits University, the ICT project needs to be delayed. When you delay your ICT project, you become less competitive on the continent, you become less competitive in the world, and essentially um, you set the university back in particular ways. So what, what's happening with all of this is obviously something's got to give, and you have to work out then what is it that's got to give. And it's our hope that the students would actually see that this is a balancing act. It's, you, can, you must make all of these demands that allow access to education, but we have to do it in the context in which the quality that we already have is not destroyed. The higher education sector in South Africa is one of the best on the continent, and in fact universities in South Africa are in the top 500 in the world. My own university is in the top 200 in the world. So the challenge for us is how do we, in this democracy that was fairly won, how do we, in this democracy, protect 
the gains of the last 20 years and move forward to strengthen the sector. Prof, the fact that students seem to believe that uh, your university, let's just speak to your, uh, about your university in particular, they seem to believe that uh, you have the money to back their call for non-payment of fees, non-payment of registration fees, and that uh, you're able to cover a number of students' education without having to pay for them. Why do, why do they seem to have that perception? I'm not quite clear about why that would be because universities are publicly funded. Universities don't have um, huge amounts of uh, money that is being kept somewhere, etc. That model of everything um, that universities have this money and they need to um, uh, pay for everything would result in bankruptcy of the higher education sector as a whole. Prof. What is being called for? Registrations uh, must fall. Vitz University has come out and said, yes, you will not pay. It's accept. We accept it. Um, going forward, the precedent has been set. Are we likely to see more protests with the students getting everything that they're asking for? Well, almost. Um, Hopefully, at the end of the year, we're not going to have to go through the same process where there's protests for demands of certain things. Let's go back to the issue of NAFSIS. Should this be re-looked at in terms of the funding that they give to different students? Because uh, seemingly there are students who do have money to pay for themselves but uh, don't and rather go um, the scheme way. Is this uh, maybe something that needs to be re-looked at by government inclusive of the universities in the country because they're the ones who seem to be affected at m- the most? Well, I think I think government has realized it's got to look at the NASA scheme, how it's allocating money, etc. But it, there's been major refinements to the scheme in the last three to five years, where um, 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 income income as parent income has to be declared, etc. So more more refinement to the system needs to be made, and one of that refinement also means. That once students benefit from it, when they graduate, they also need to contribute to it. Mm-hmm. Now, to be able to contribute to it, they need jobs. To be able to have jobs, you need growth. We're in a low-growth area, so all of this is compounding where the uh, country finds itself economically and socially. And so, yes, absolutely, the NASPA scheme needs to be refined even further. Prof, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That was Professor Roxana Osman, Dean of the Faculty of Humanities at the University of the Witwatersrand. It's 8.34 and our headlines up next with Onilin Sinsi. Delays in implementing security measures of a Mali peace deal signed last year is making it harder for the army to counter resurgent jihadist groups. Libya's National Oil Corporation empties all storage tanks as a precaution after Islamic State militants attacked the country's two biggest oil ports. And South Africa's higher education minister blades Monday to meet the hashtag Fizmas for campaign students leaders on Thursday. Channel Africa News, I am on a
Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. Reporting for Channel Africa in Harare, Zimbabwe. This is Simon Muchemwa. Reporting for Channel Africa. This is Moki Kinzeka in Yaoundi. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. in Lesotho. Reporting for Channel Africa, Konyo in Nairobi. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa. The UN's expert on judicial independence says a detention center at Guantanamo Bay should be closed promptly by the United States and dismantled. The special rapporteur on the independence of the judiciary, Monica Pinto, has accused the U.S. of violating human rights every day by continuing to keep suspects imprisoned in the 14-year-old facility located in Cuba. Her call for the camp to close after years of wrangling over its future was supported by a group of human rights experts from the UN and the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe. Pinto elaborates. In this opportunity, we tried to to ask the government of the United States to promptly close the Guantanamo Bay facility uh, to end the uh, arbitrary detention of all the people who is detainee in this uh, facility and at the same time either to release them to, to their home countries, to third countries, or to transfer them to some detention facilities in the U.S. Uh, territory, and of course to, to ask them to be transferred to, to a judge, to, to, have, uh, to be the object of a judicial process with the due guarantees to a fair uh, free and fair trial, and uh, at the same time, we are also calling the, the government of the U.S. to establish an independent oversight mechanism so as to receive the complaints on torture, ill-treatment, and other uh, different uh, species of treatment that the detainees have suffered, and uh, to award all of them the right to an effective uh, remedy with the judge. We are also asking the government to dismantle the Guantanamo Bay detention facility so as not to be used anymore in the, in the future and to investigate, prosecute and punish those involved in the, between inverted commas, criminal acts committed in the Guantanamo Bay uh, facility. Now, why is it so important to see this facility closed and these measures taken? Well, you know, we, it's almost 15 or 16 years we are uh, involved in what is normally called the global war against terror. And, and in fact, every day the, we, we discover new faces of terrorism here and there all over the world. So it seems that the global war on terror uh, won't finish in the near future. In order to do so, what we are asking for, and it's not the first time, I think that when the Bantanamo Bay was put in place some 14 years ago, uh, our colleagues at that time asked for the same. Uh, What we are uh, calling for is just to end impunity, to, to ask the government of the United States to complain with the rule of law. 
And the rule of law includes human rights, it includes independent and impartial judges, so as to say what the law is in the case of each person. And uh, we think that the way of uh, uh, the struggle against terrorism, what you need is to have some legitimacy. And you, in fact, are lacking legitimacy if you are violating human rights every day. So one of the first rules of the war against terrorism is for the states, for democratic states, try not to get involved in the same methods that terrorists use every day. What is it that you wish to see exactly? What we want to see is just the President Obama to, to honor his promise of uh, five or six years ago, 2009, when he said he was ready to close the Guantanamo Bay facility. I'm, I'm aware that uh, starting this new year, his government has uh, announced that they are taking measures in order to, to come to a prompt close of the detention early next year. But we want to, to, to help the, the American government to close definitely that facility. We don't want to have more people detained in these sort of centers that are in the margins of the, of the community, are outside, beyond the rule of law, and uh, we deem that everybody, even the worst criminals in the world, are the holders of a right to, to, to have a judge and to be considered in a criminal procedure with a free and fair trial and with due guarantees. And none of these situations have ever taken place in the Guantanamo Bay facility. Can you explain to us how it is that Guantanamo Bay facility is still operational when it was actually one of the first initiatives that President Obama took coming into office was to request that it be closed? Well, I think this is a question to be put to President Obama. But in any case, we don't uh, have doubts about his commitment to try to close the, the, the Guantanamo Bay facility. What we think is that even though uh, his government has been uh, either taking measures or pushing measures, like the report that was published by the Senate in which it is clear that uh, torture and ill-treatment have been practiced with the detainees in, in Guantanamo, what we see is that, in fact, there should be some major political obstacles that have been uh, crucial for the president you know, to move forward in order to close the facility. That was a special rapporteur on the independence of the judiciary of at the UN, Monica Pinto, speaking to UN Radio's Cristina Silviero. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. Kulturanjoy for Channel Africa Radio in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa. For Channel Africa, I'm Lillian Strobach, reporting from the ICC in The Hague. Reporting for Channel Africa, I'm Hilda Kekeloa in Zambia. Our cutting-edge and hard-hitting journalism leaves no stone unturned, giving you the whole picture every time. George Muhango. Channel Africa, Blantyre. This is Lansana Fofana, reporting for Channel Africa from Freetown. The consensus is that United States President Barack Obama will use his final State of the Union address to provide a vision of the future of his country based on the accomplishments of his presidency over the last seven years. America's first black president will deliver his last State of the Union to both houses of Congress later tonight, which is Tuesday. 
in Washington. And while he is expected to veer clear of electoral rhetoric, that currently dominates the country's political landscape. Experts believe that the importance of who becomes President Obama's successor will be heavily implied. Sharon Bryce Peace reports. Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States. He's probably got the hang of this event by now. In front of both houses of Congress, the country's top military brass, Supreme Court justices, and a television audience of multi-millions. Listen to President Obama's Chief of Staff, Dennis McDonough, speaking on NBC's Meet the Press. The President sat us down late last year to say, look, I don't want it to be a, a list of policy choices. Uh, we have a lot of policy, and you'll hear a lot about that over the course of this year. But what he wants to do is talk about a vision for the future of this country. Mm -hmm. We feel like we can win this future. We feel very optimistic about the future. That's a big difference between us and what's going on in this public debate right now. And that's what you hear about on Tuesday night. Political analyst and historian Joshua Brown agrees that this speech will be less focused on policy persuasions, but rather on a vision for the future post this presidency. The general conventional wisdom, of course, is that not much can be done in the final year of a presidency. Uh, and in some case, in some sense, I think it's clear that uh, Obama and, uh, and his minders and uh, helpers have come to the conclusion that uh, it's more constructive to begin to conceive of, well, how will his presidency be understood and what its long-term impact will be. So I think this is a case where we're going to get a speech more about the vision of the future of the United States as affected by the last eight years, as opposed to what's going to happen in the next one year. He's likely to tout his major accomplishments, the Affordable Care Act, improvements in the economy, major trade deals, the Iran nuclear deal, better relations with Cuba, and taking out Osama bin Laden among his most notable feats. Professor Brown of the City University of New York says there could be underlying messages that will subtly speak to this year's election. It's not so much that it would be an apolitical speech as it would be, again, as I'd said, a visionary speech. Uh, uh, the reason is that it, it's implied, as, as you suggested, that if a Democrat doesn't win the White House, that many of these programs are in jeopardy, and certainly many of these agreements might be in jeopardy. And that report by Sean Bryce Peace. It's 8.45 Central African time and our economics update up next with Tabiso Luhoko. Zimbabwe is getting a 300-megawatt energy booster from South Africa's power utility ESCOM. This comes as China has reportedly agreed to release funds for the refurbishment of Zimbabwe's Hwange thermal power station. The Zambezi River Authority has reduced its water allocation to Zimbabwe's power utility by a third, and the government is making frantic efforts to close the gap. According to the latest World Bank forecast, Zimbabwe's economy is expected to rebound in 2016. The group's global economic prospects see the annual gross domestic product growth rate tripling. It's good news for the country, which is battling drought, 
and a shrink in national cake that saw government fail to pay civil servants salaries on time in December. Shingai Nyoga reports. After Zimbabwe's economy nosedived in 2015, sparking fears of a recession, there is some positive news on the horizon. The World Bank's Global Economic Prospects forecasts that annual GDP growth will almost triple to 2.8%. Zimbabwe's own forecast is slightly lower at 2.7% on the back of an improvement in mining, tourism, construction and the financial services sectors. Citibank has cancelled a 15 million US dollar loan facility to state-owned South African Airways. This is the latest blow to the cash-strapped airline at the center of a political storm. Treasury spokeswoman Pumza Matanda says that they are aware that the city has cancelled a payment facility to SAA and are working closely with SAA on the issue to make sure there is sufficient liquidity. US wheat has fallen for a second day, dropping 2.3% in the past two days. Corn fell, extending its 1.5% drop in the previous session, while soybeans ticked higher. Despite edging lower, traders remain on the sidelines, cautious of taking first positions ahead of a U.S. Department of Agriculture report that is expected to show the lowest U.S. winter wheat plantings since 2009. Front-month soybeans have risen 015 Nigeria says it will sell 402.92 million US dollars worth of bonds denominated in the local currency at an auction on January the 20th. Using the Dutch auction system, the debt office says it will issue bonds maturing in 2020 and 2026. The 2020 debt is a reopening of a previously issued bond. The South African rand is trading at 16.30 US dollars, 11.33 Botswana Pula, 10.95 in Zambia, 0.68 British pound, 0.91 euros, gold 1097 dollars, platinum 841 dollars an ounce, brand crude oil 31 dollars, 22 cents a barrel. Channel Africa's economic update. Thank you, Tabiso. Our sports update up next with Msibudi Makura. Thank you, Lulu. Good morning, sports fans. An IAAF inspection in Russia to verify the reforms made by the country's Athletics Federation enjoyed frank and open talks with Russian officials on Monday. The IAAF commission had been working behind closed doors studying documents related to federation reforms undertaken with the aim of gaining re-acceptance by a world track and field governing body. The reports also stated that the first visit of the five-person inspection team to Russia had an introductory character. The IAAF hit Russia with an indefinite suspension in November last year after a bombshell report by the World Anti-Doping Agency Independent Commission revealed Russia's anti-doping agency had routinely violated global testing standards. As a result of the sanction, Russian athletes are not at the moment eligible to compete at the 2016 Olympic Games and IAAF President Sebastian Coe said that would only change 
change if certain strict conditions were met. On to football news, Nigeria Super Eagles claimed a 1-0 win over the Elephants of Cote d'Ivoire in an international friendly match played in Pretoria in South Africa on Monday. The tune-up game was the last of the Nigerians as they prepare for the 2016 African Nations Championship Chan Tournament. Al-Kamani Warriors midfielder Ifani Matthew scored the winner in the first half as Sunday Oliesi's men finished unbeaten in their preparations for the Chan Tournament. Nigeria earlier defeated South Africa African side University of Pretoria 3-0 and drew 1-0 with Angola. The Super Eagles will start their Chan campaign against Niger Republic on the 18th of January. They will then face Guinea and Tunisia in the group stages. On to cricket news, Proteus coach Russell Domingo has confirmed that South Africa will be without the world number one test bowler Dale Steyn for the third and must-win test against England at the Bidvets Wanderers starting on Thursday. Steyn, who missed the Cape Town draw with a shoulder niggle, has not joined the Proteus team in Johannesburg, subject to undergoing further scans in Cape Town. Despite not having Steyn being a huge blow for the Proteus in the series decider, Domingo says the multiple record breaker is still irreplaceable. No, not at all. I don't think it's the end of Del Stan's career at all. All players are going to experience some sort of niggles at some stage. He's just had a few of them of late. He's a great athlete. He's as fit as anybody can come. And these things happen. He's just going through that phase of his career at the moment. And I'm sure he'll get through it. I can tell you the player that's coming in is ecstatic. He'll be in a great frame of mind. So the game goes on. Uh, we've got to make do with it. It's the way it is. Nothing we can do about it. And it's an opportunity for somebody else to hopefully make a mark for themselves and also drive to become as good as Del Stan was. So look, it's obviously disappointing not to have him. We know he's a great bowler. He's the best bowler in the world and uh, we haven't had him for the last thing he played the first test match in India and that was it really so not having him has been disappointing but not too much we can do about it I don't know it's uh, they're doing more scans to try and find something there but um, look it's quite it seems to be quite a strange injury I'm not medically tuned in so I can't give the exact term for it but he's having a scan there at the moment as we speak right now well, Dale Stan out, joining fellow senior Quick Vernon Philander on the casualty listed. Still unclear whether the Proteus selectors will opt to go for an all-seam attack. Domingo says they will be mindful of the pacey and bouncing Wanderers' wicket when making the final decision on the team, a decision which could present an opportunity for either Cal Uppert or um, debutant and Lions speedster Hades Felyu. I am one of those coaches that likes to have a spinner, but the Wonders is notorious for not having a spinner. So, look, we need to look at conditions yet. The Lotus rushed me straight down. Yes, I haven't had a look at the pitches. So, once we've had a look at the pitch and discuss with the selectors a little bit closer to the date, we'll make a call on that. But it is not unheard of, of going into a Wonders test match without a spinner. It's often been done. Meanwhile, England will draft in former international off-spinner Robert Croft to assist their slow bowlers during the five-day, um, one-day international series in South Africa starting on the 3rd of February. Croft will join the coaching team of Trevor Bayliss, Paul Farbrace, uh, Otis Gibson, as well as Graham Thorpe as a consultant spin bowling coach for a 12-day period at the start of the series. England's director of cricket, Andrew Strauss, says Robert has had success in both domestic and international national cricket during his career and he'll have plenty to offer the dressing room. While those are your sports news at the Sour stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Africa, rise and shine. 
Afrika Zora Afrika amka na unai Recapping our top stories on Africa rise and shine at Basawa, it's all system go for South Sudan's transitional government and the USA bully South Africa into accepting its conditions on the Agoa deal. That wraps up Africa rise and shine today for myself, Lulu Gabu, producer Lebo Munamukhulu, technical producer Charles Moyo and the rest of the team. Thank you for joining us. For comments about our show, send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or tweet us at Rise Shine Africa. Now taking us to the top of the hour for the news and, and well, for the news is Johnny Clegg with Asimbonanga.
Hey, 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 hey,